0: Paper Flower Consortium, Episode 4 An Unknown Talent. Recording by Loretta fabron foy former lady of the Kingdom of France and current historian and librarian of the Paperflower Consortium. Beloved initiates and other listeners, as I mentioned in my last podcast, I shall discuss the vampire powers, sometimes called talents. However, after further research, I decided that it might be best if I told a few stories over the next few weeks to ensure the depth of the subject is covered. Before I start, I ought to clarify, I shall not be speaking of the broad powers which all vampires seem to have. For example, most vampires learn to hear heartbeats of all animals, and this means they can hear lies or oncoming danger by a person's involuntary reactions. What I speak of is this. When vampires are born, one or two talents, often extrasensory, come to the forefront. Experience tells us the progenitor's most potent gifts are most often passed on to the fledgling. However, that is not always the case. An intelligent coven learns what gifts all members are reborn with so they may be useful rather than a hindrance. Though not part of the paper flower consortium, we can trace many of our gifts through our ancient ancestor, Gaius Lodipus Cerverus, a former general in the Roman Empire. He created the vampire who attacked and ultimately created Lady Agatha. Agatha and Gaius' history, well, how shall I say this? It is complicated. And therefore, I shall not be speaking too much about that without permission from both parties. There are three major gifts that Gaius gave us. Clairvoyance, celerity, and mesmerism. Telepathy, also called mind reading, is quite rare and entered the coven more recently through Derek Miller. As Agatha is our oldest vampire, let us begin with her gift, which is mesmerism. Mesmerism is the ability to direct minds. It can be used to control someone, however, it works best when the subject wants to do what is asked. Some may call it hypnotism or domination. Now, her ladyship Agatha was born the daughter of a count and married at 15 to Jacob, the younger son of a different count. Beyond being a wife and mother, she was also a learned midwife and healer. However, since she was attacked and left to die, she had no true teacher, and she did not know of her vampire talents until months after her transformation. Agatha and Gaius' concubines killed Agatha's progenitor, so we do not know his primary gift. She did, however, and of course still does, have an observant scientific mind and an an aptitude for estate management. Agatha quickly realized that she was stronger than she had been as a human woman, and healed quickly as long as she had blood. But of course she was weak in comparison to the other vampires she met in her first weeks as a vampire. So after turning, Agatha experimented on herself and she kept two copies of her observations, which were interspersed with letters which she wrote to Jacob while she awaited his return home. One copy of this journal came with her to France, and the other stayed with her eldest, Irina, who was also trained in the healer's arts. The letter which I am about to read to you shows when Agatha realized she had quote-unquote powers like Gaius. This letter was originally written in medieval Medovian, Pascaline translated the journal early in the 17th century to French, and it was translated again into English in 1952 by Norma, so please forgive any strange turns of phrase. Agatha says that it is basically correct. The 9th of July, 1509 My beloved Jacob, I once believed that hell was terrifying pain and lakes of fire but now I know it is the crushing, stony loneliness which dashes upon my mind over and over. Six months ago I died. I might have thought I would be numb to the isolation by now, but nothing has changed. I seek out tiny creatures for companionship, flies, beetles, and moths, but they scurry away from me in terror, and I cannot keep them in the manner lest they damage the wood and cloth. I suppose it is natural I still ache for you and the children. But I did not comprehend how I would miss Cook's songs, Gavrilla. Insertion here, Gavrilla was Jacob's brother's wife and Agatha's bosom companion before she became a vampire. And my weekly tasks of making and delivering bread for our town and the farmers who live afield. When I can sleep, I dream of balls at the castles, services at the church, and the bustling market day in town square. I miss the women I used to nurture as they brought forth life of the world. Did you know that Gavrilla had a little girl and I wasn't able to be by her side? I miss my cows. No gentle sounds of mooing to be fed or to be milked. No calves bouncing through the grass, mud or snow. The lower herdland has been emptied. Artor and Petru sometimes move cows through the upper herdlands, but neither visits the manor. They will never come too close to the house. Even so, Jacob, remember our boys always in love, for they need you so badly to be proud of them. The leaded glass windows rattle from the summer wind coming from the mountains. Did they always? I can't remember. My hearing is much better now and the sound makes me think of our beloved children running up and down the halls. I wish I hadn't scolded them for such things now. I try to sleep during the day as other vampires did, but I wait, and I watch for you, or for Gavrilla's valet who drops supplies, or our daughters when they bring me meat which they leave outside the door. The summer sun protects them from me. I cannot touch their soft warm skin I cannot chance to touch Irina's growing stomach, though I long to feel our first grandchild kick. Nor will I chance to embrace Daciana, because I can hear their beating hearts and smell their living flesh, and I do not trust myself to touch them. I love our children too much, so I pray for the children daily, and when they come close to the pantry door, I call, "'Thank you, girls. I love you both. Daciana, mind your sister and brothers.' and our girls always reply that they love me. As I instructed Irina, they always turn and walk away. Sometimes they weep. Sometimes they wait to weep until they think they are far enough away from the manor that I cannot hear them. Last week, Daciana had a tantrum and wailed for me. Jacob, you will be so proud of Irina. She has eternal patience for her little sister. But Daciana is so young, and if she does not have a mother, at least she can have a father." I long and fear for your return. I am dead. I have no hold upon you. And if you are to have any life at all, you must cast me out. I am not sure where I will go, but but fear not, my beloved. I have been experimenting. Soon I will know how long I can stand the sun. Soon I will know how long it takes silver to burn my flesh. So I must focus upon my experiments. I must be ready to leave when you return. And I will bless your future if I can. I know you must have a wife and not a walking corpse. And Daciana needs a mother. Wait a moment, dear. There's a knock on the door. And I smell someone. Who would come here? Well, wait a moment. I will check. Jacob, my love, I have broken quarantine. You see, I unlatched and peeked out the small window and the door and saw a dirty young woman, perhaps of 18. She smelled of vomit, filth, and blood, she clutched a dirty shawl around her shoulders though it was a warm afternoon. She was too thin for health except her large stomach which stretched her coarsely woven clothes. There was no history or tales of love embroidered on her skirts or sleeves. Her skin held a layer of greasy dirt which seeped into her pores and her dark hair was stringy. It wasn't my experience as a midwife there is something dark inside me now and that darkness knew her water had broken a while before and she should have called a midwife hours before now at first i told her i'm sorry but this house has been quarantined please please you must see me she said my daughter Irina sees all mothers i told her she won't see me and the woman screamed and leaned against the porch post Irina will help you and you can pay her whatever you can i said "'No, I cannot. Please,' the woman begged. Her eyes were scorched with agony. "'There will never be. You don't know. You just don't know.' "'My daughter will not set you aside,' I said. I never said she would, and she gasped as she rambled. "'Forgive me, Lady Agatha. Forgive me, but you must let me in. There is no one else.' I did not know this woman, and I wondered if her husband was perhaps a bully who refused to pay for a midwife.' Obviously, she felt she could not go to the nuns, perhaps she was an apostate, or maybe she was Jewish, or for some other reason. If she really believed her only solution was a vampire, she must be in dire need. And so, Jacob, I broke quarantine. I opened the door all the way and stepped out upon the porch. Hopefully, you will still think kindly of me. Why can't you go to Irina? I asked. The woman wobbled on her feet. I can't show my face in town. I can't. Why? Please just help me, Lady Agatha. I will help you, I said, but I must know what I'm working with. She flinched as I pressed my hand against her belly. This close, I feared the smell of blood and sweat might drive me mad. The woman's heartbeat was fast, but the baby's was fairly regular. Fresh sweat coated her skin. I wanted to lick her. I wanted to bite into that tender flesh. She is not meat, I thought. Perhaps my urges were written in my complexion because the woman whimpered. She is not meat, I thought. Hold still, dearie, I ordered, and she did. I waited until I felt a contraction, and once finished, I began to count. Two hundred seconds later, there was another. I wrapped my arm around her, Come into my hall. I want you to take a deep breath after each contraction, and as it begins, that's a good girl. Though my birthing equipment was in the kitchen, in truth, I did not want to bring the woman in my sanctuary. I feared her life might taint my resolve to remain quarantined from the children and the rest of our family. So I had her sit on a dining bench, and I carried in the birthing chair in the basins and let out fresh hay and onto the hall floor. How many moons have you been pregnant? I asked. I'm not sure, at least four, but obviously longer, the woman said. What do you feel? I asked. My legs have been cramping and I've had so much pain for the past week. And she grimaced again as the birthing pain took her. Undress please and sit in the birthing chair. I need to check how close you are to delivery, I said. Once disrobed, I observed the woman's body. Her back bore scars where she had been whipped, and the flesh of her wrists had been rubbed raw. Around her neck was a ring of rough skin. An oxen's yoke, or some sort of collar. No, stocks. Those marks are from stocks, I asked. You are a criminal. The woman opened her mouth, but no sound came out. It's all right. I will still help you. It's all right, I said. And the woman wept in relief. Her heartbeat fluttered again. "'She is not meat, she is not meat, she is not meat,' I repeated in my head. I checked to see how far the woman was along. Her cervix had dilated, and she was ready to deliver within hours. Hours. I wasn't sure how I would survive the temptation of her blood. However, then I told myself, "'Just because I hunger does not mean I must indulge. I am not an animal. I ate my cows, but I also nurtured them. I didn't think of steak or leathers when I brushed their fur or delivered their calves.' And a human is no different. I compelled myself not to smell the sweat and blood in the woman's skirts. And then I realized she must be cleaned. It would help her in the coming babe. She was a mother in need, not meat. And if I could help her, it meant I could return to being a midwife. And if I could midwife, Jacob, my beloved, you need not fear for me, because a midwife can always support herself comfortably enough. I told the woman to step on the bathing grate and with a clean sponge and herbal soap, I scrubbed the woman's dirty flesh. I ran a striggle over her skin to push the soap into the basin below and combed a heavy oil through her hair to kill any lice. Hold your nose, honey, and I dumped a bucket of warmed water over her skin. I wiped her face with a hot and wet towel dipped in rosemary oil. The pungent herbs concealed the smell of her flesh, and then I ran the oil completely over her. I moved the woman to the birthing chair, and gently massaged her calves and applied pressure to the knots in the muscles of her shoulders until she relaxed. "'Hold the cross and pray with Mother Mary,' I said. "'God doesn't hear my prayers,' she said softly. "'As you know, Jacob, I don't believe that, but one should never argue with a woman in labor.' "'All right, then. Breathe with contractions, dear. I will be right back.' "'I dashed into the pantry and sucked on a piece of dry meat from this week's last rabbit.' I was still hungry. I chipped a piece of salt off my salt block and pressed the chip into my tongue. I filled myself with well water and put on a kettle. I pulled Cook's abandoned tin trough and old pallet into the hall. The woman's heartbeat called to mine. Refusing to listen, I sang a birthing song and massaged the woman's extended stomach. I sang so loudly, I feared the woman might think me mad. She cried out in agony as the contractions took her body. "'and I stroked her hair and wiped sweat from her brow. "'Wanting to assist her from the pain, "'I thought of Gaius and how he forced his will upon me "'when I was at the fort. "'And I thought, perhaps I could do that too. "'Perhaps I could take away her pain. "'Did you know, dear, "'that cows almost never feel much pain from birth?' "'The woman screamed again. "'I thought I failed, "'but I kept talking in a gentle voice, "'forcing my will over her "'and covering her like a soft blanket.' Certainly, it's uncomfortable for the cow, just as it is for you. But there doesn't need to be pain, I explained. The woman cried out once more. Still, she did not hold her head as I once did, as if a million insects crawled inside her skin. Her eyes glazed over, and she sobbed how she saw the cows and calves frolicking in the lower herdland. They were not there, of course, but she saw them. She saw them because I was showing her. All right, good. And then I showed her a birthing cow. A cow who had more than one calf and whose body knew what it was supposed to do. Do you see the cow? Yes, Lady Agatha. Good. Then you must push now. And the woman bared down. Now push more gently. I see the head. and You just look at the cows. And the woman cried as the baby's face was being exposed. And then there was one more push and the baby's head was free. And of course the rest of the baby's body followed. I cleared the babe's airway and he took an air the first time. Your child is a boy, I told her. The woman began to shiver. Don't worry, this is a good sign. The placenta will be coming soon, I told her. Now just look at the cows and look at that calf, able to take his own first breath. And I dipped my blade in boiling water and cut the umbilical cord. Once the placenta fell into the birthing basin, I looked at the pile of bloody filth and I realized with delight that I could take the bloody mass away. Which I did, and I set it in the cold pantry beside my rabbit meat. I poured steaming water into the trough and rebathed the woman in order to recheck her injuries. She was able to relax now. I rubbed in healing poultices first into her face to soften her skin and then her neck and wrists for the rash from the stalks. She dozed off, and I felt as if I were a wolf looking at a sleeping deer. I shook the thought away. I nudged her shoulder and asked her, do you wish to hold your baby? And I helped her out of the bath and onto Cook's old pallet. I instructed her how to make the babe latch on, which took a few tries, which is very normal. And the babe eventually did and began to drink from his mother. I found some old clothing left behind from our valet. I diapered and swallowed the child and set him in a basket beside his now exhausted mother. And fearing I might do harm, I hurried into the cold pantry, and I ate the placenta, and I delighted in the fresh blood. And my tongue was coated with pleasure, and I felt more alive than I had in months. I heard the newborn cry. My stomach growled, and I thought the child would be more tender than a suckling calf. They are not meat, I told myself, and refocused on the placenta. And then I seeped chamomile water. I have almost no food in the house but I set aside a jar of honey in the sack of herbal longes for the woman. She can sell them if she must, but I hope she takes them as they will strengthen her milk. And then, hot cup of chamomile in hand, I return to my window and my journal and to breathe in something besides that mother and her child. How I long for your arrival. There is little doubt that I have become a monster, Jacob. No matter what happens, you must promise to never let me near our children. I will love you through eternity, Agatha. And then, after her signature, there are several scrawled sentences. They are not meat. They are not meat. They are not meat. And that is the story of the first time Agatha tried to mesmerize a human and succeeded. If she had remained with other vampires, she might have had a more abundant knowledge about her gifts. Of course, then she might not have had an adventure with Jacob. And of course, if that didn't happen, the Paperflower Consortium might not exist at all. As listeners must have realized by now... When Jacob returned, he told Agatha to transform him. They left Moldavia together and settled in France for a few centuries, then England, and then America. This March, they celebrated their 528th anniversary. Seventeen as humans, and 511 as vampires. They had five human children, four who survived to adulthood. Agatha had two vampire daughters, Pascaline and myself, and Jacob had two vampire sons, Charles and Derek. And together, they have 28 Grand Progeny and 4 Great Grand Progeny. And there are several more in the Initiate program. I will be fielding questions after a word from our sponsor. Vampires, do you dislike ripped denim, thin fabrics, strange hemlines, and how well-made modern clothing is often covered in labels? Well, MYT Clothier creates handmade custom clothing in accessible styles for all body types from all eras, including this one! We use the best quality hand-woven silk embroidery from China, damask from France, Italian embroidery and leathers, and other fine fabrics. And if you wish to look like you stepped out of time or even reality with some fantastical design, we can make that happen too. we with friends. We have a wide variety of double-woven stretchy materials for those quick transformations. If the clock tears when you transform, we'll fix it or replace the garment for free. At MYT Clothier, quality is our style. And now on to some questions. Lady Loretta, from the letter, it sounds like her ladyship Agatha does not know if she actually killed the mother and child. Indeed it does. And when asked, Agatha is pretty sure after the woman awoke, she sent her and the babe out the door, but she doesn't really recall. 500 years is a long time to remember anything. However, there is no mention of eating a human in her observations and experiments, so that's probably correct. Lady Loretta, I am confused. You said vampires keep thralls for blood and don't kill people. Yes, modern vampires keep thralls, but Lady Agatha and Sir Jacob have been alive for over 500 years. Thralls were not even a thing back then. But as the letter and her journals report, her daughters were bringing her weekly rations of rabbit meat, and her sister-in-law, the Countess Gavrilla, was sending other supplies until Jacob returned from war. Okay, Next question. Lady Loretta, though you call this gift mesmerism, the story maybe describes more of a state of hypnosis. Ah, listener, if you are a practitioner of mesmerism, Agatha was stroking the mother's hair and bathed her, so there was touch as well as spoken word. However, if you want to call it hypnotism, glamours, or enchantment, I do not think anyone would care. As I've said before, language changes. In truth, the coven calls it mesmerism primarily because that was the term in England during the 1790s, when Jacob, Agatha, Pascaline, and I fled France. Charles had already left for America at that point. Though we all still spoke French at home, Jacob, especially, did not want to stand out in England during the decades we were there. Lady Loretta, it sounds like an initiate could choose their gift by choosing their mentor. To a certain extent, that is true, especially in the modern era, when there is several vampires living together. But next week, I will speak about how my daughter, Marion, surprised us all by being reborn with clairvoyance, even though myself and Agatha and all my children until Marion had mesmerism. But that is a story for next week. Have a good day and sleep the sleep of the dead. Paper Flower Consortium podcast is written and performed by Elizabeth Gazzetti. For more information, please go to elizabethgazzetti.com slash consortium. If you have a question for Lady Loretta, please send her a message by clicking the button on the website. The music was by Evan Witt. Learn more about his music at www.wittynotes.com. Thanks for listening.